When something happens to your kitchen, you might say, This is ludicrous. But that won't fix your home. That will only get you the rapper, Ludicrous. Having trouble? Don't panic. Don't be alarmed. You need to file a claim? Holler at State Farm. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. That's right. You can file a claim on the app or call us. Thanks, Mr. Chris. No matter how ludicrous the situation, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. State Farm, Bloomington, Illinois. Everyone deserves a chance in the driver's seat. For GM and Revolt, that means leading the way on the road to an all-electric future and envisioning a world with zero crashes, zero tailpipe emissions, and zero congestion. GM's committed to making EVs accessible for everybody. That means you too. So what are you waiting for? GM's got the keys. You grab the wheel. Learn more about an all-electric future and the 000 initiative at GM.com. GM, everybody in. Texas had a bunch of white folks that moved to Mexican lands to avoid taxes, and they took their slaves with them. Texas at one point had 182,000 slaves living there. 30% of the population were slaves, and cattle were a big part of the industry there. The Civil War broke out, and all of these white folks went to fight in the war, and they left the slaves to, to maintain the cattle. And so these black enslaved people got these this skill at, at managing cows, helping to herd cattle. And when slavery ended, they were hired as cowboys. They were hired to sort of maintain these cattle. And then at the end of slavery, there was an interest in cowboy culture that then became rodeo. Mm-hmm. So they moved from doing real cowboy work to doing cowboy shows. And so all of these handy gunmen would do gun tricks. And all of these really rough and tumble cowboys would rope calves and they would ride bulls and they would do a lot of the activity that they learned working cattle, but they would do it for money. They would do it in these shows. Do it in these shows. Do it in these shows. Welcome to Wild Black, a seriously opinionated podcast, bringing you the real and raw on anything happening while black. If black culture's there, we're there. If you're pissed or empowered, then let's talk about it. Ride with us on this all-black everything. Everybody, welcome back to Wild Black. Welcome back, people. Welcome once again. Listen, this today is one of those topics that I guarantee you, before you looked at the name of this episode, whatever that may actually end up being, you never took the time to think too deeply about what we're talking about today. So. I'm going to jump in with a, little, with a little information. Now, did you all know that the term cowboy has its origins firmly rooted in American slavery? The name cowboy began as a, a term specifically reserved for black enslaved ranchers, while their white counterparts were referred to as cowhands versus cowboys. Now, the work of a cowhand or a cowboy was at the time something akin to picking cotton, which meant that the white boys were not trying to do it. Yet, American history and the TV and film industry will have you to believe that the American cowboy was white. But we are here today to tell Mm. you that they indeed are not. Now, it's not that white folks didn't participate in the work because they did, but the numbers reported skew the truth. In reality, during this time frame, we were seen as machinery. So in order to avoid avoid higher taxation, when the cis... Damn it, Darius. When the census counters came around, many enslaved folks, including cowboys, were hidden in order to keep costs low. 
Now, with mm. the rise of TV and film came the extreme Christopher Columbusing. I got that word right, and I made that up. Came the extreme Christopher Columbusing and whitewashing of our history, which I know sounds familiar. We became familiar with names like Roy Rogers, the Marlboro Man, Clint Eastwood, and the Long Ranger, and the Lone Ranger, but not names such as Nat Love, who was one of the best cowboys and an expert marksman. His, his style is what you see emulated in countless cowboy movies. Bill Pickett, another black cowboy and inventor of bulldogging concept. That's when you see a cowboy jump off the back of a horse and wrestle a steer to the ground or wrestle a cattle to the ground by its horns. And possibly the most notable stolen figure was that of Bass Reeves, who was recognized as the world's best marshal, capturing over 3,000 convicts. Now, I know you've probably never heard his name before, but I guarantee you, you've heard the persona they stole from him. He was the lone, lone, he was the lone ranger. The lone ranger was indeed black. And I couldn't go forward without mentioning the fact that it wasn't just black men. There were black women as well. Joanna July had such an ability as a black woman to take and tame wild horses that she was hired by the U.S. Army to teach and train. So today's intro was a little bit longer, but I wanted to hit you with that information because we're going against the grain of Hollywood. Today, we're not talking about John Wayne and his white supremacist views. We're not talking about the fake Lone Ranger. We're not talking about Roy Rogers. We're not talking about Clint Eastwood or the Marlboro Man. Today, we're talking about the truth, and the American cowboy is not white. So, you know we always have a dope-ass guest to go along with that, and today is no different. Today, I want to introduce Ivan McClellan. Hey, how's it going? Ivan is a photojournalist and black American cowboy using his photography to find the intersection of black culture and American history. His experience with black rodeos, black cowboy history, and the merger with Western culture led to his work entitled Eight Seconds, Black Cowboys in America. And today we'll be digging deeper into our history as black cowboys and Ivan's work telling those stories. Ivan, brother, welcome to Wild Black and sorry for my fumbling through today's introduction. But I, I did say it was going to be that day. Welcome, brother. Well, thanks so much. Yeah, I'm, I'm so happy to be on here. I can't even tell you, this is, uh, this is one of the most exciting things that I've done in my career, for real. Oh, that just means yeah, you got a bunch stuff. of amazing shit coming up next, because this ain't all that exciting. You got some great <laughs> shit coming behind, bro. <laughs> Look, it, it, this is just a room of black folks talking about black shit, so I guess that is right. pretty exciting. That's, that is kind of dope. That is dope. That's, That's extremely dope. exciting. <laughs> I mean, how many times we get to do that? Right, right, right. <laughs> so, I, Ivan, I, I gave a quick introduction about who you are. Tell the folks just a little bit more about yourself and then we'll jump into this wild black shit and get going. I'm a designer and a, and a photographer. Uh, I do design for most of my money and I just uh, started getting paid to do photo photojournalism. So I've, I've started doing reporting for different publications. Uh, I've, I've done work partnerships with commercial brands like Wrangler and Stetson. Uh, but mostly I'm a storyteller. That's what I've always done. And that's been a, the core of everything that I've done. So I, I was an actor straight out of high school, um, did, did theater in New York and then um, got into design and really got into telling narratives, telling stories for brands. And then as a photographer, I really like dug into telling stories of, of people that uh, often don't get their stories amplified. And so that's that's what I'm currently doing on this on this Black Cowboy project. Yeah, I feel you. I mean, I got I got one quote. You, you didn't you said you were an actor. You you weren't doing porn, were you? No, no porn. Okay, no, just, check. doing... just checking, brother. Just checking. Ain't nothing uh, wrong with porn. Hey, we gotta get our money where we can get it. I yeah, tried. We I was, there's, there's, I'm too I'm too hairy. Porn. 
<laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> no, I was doing, uh, I did a lot of theater. I did musical theater. I did, I did some Shakespeare. Um, just, just was like grinding it out, was working. I was proud to say as an actor that, that I never like was a waiter. I always got my money as an actor. So whether <laughs> it was like children's theater, whether it was, was commercials, like whatever I had to do to, to make ends meet, that's what I did. Love it. Makes sense. Makes sense. But well, bro, if you ready, we'll we'll go ahead and jump into this wild black shit and keep it going. Yeah, yeah, let's do it. All right, let's go. So, wild black shit is one of our our guest favorites, right? Where we talk, we it's basically three questions, and the first two questions get you warmed up, and then the third question is our signature question that we ask every single guest. So these questions are generally fun in nature, but they challenge a little bit of of your thought process. So you ready to go? We'll jump right in. Yeah, let's do it. All right, first question. You know, when you look back at these old pics, you typically cringe at the fashion of hairstyles. Well, if Black America had a yearbook picture, which hairstyle would make <laughs> you cringe the most? And I'm going to give you a list of these hairstyles. One, or A, the Jerry Curl. B, the Gumby. C, the S Curl. D, Finger Waves. And E, the kid from Kid and Play. <laughs> I'm definitely gonna have to go with the Jerry Curl. I got a I got a picture <laughs> from Easter of me and my mom, and she had a little bit of a Jerry Curl, and um, she's in that that circle back wicker chair, and there's just like a little little bit of a Jerry Curl stain on the back of it. So mm-hmm. that was just nope. a bad look all the way around. We gotta we gotta dig and just make sure we understand, right? Because you said Easter. You ain't talking about this past Easter, are you? No, I'm talking about okay, like just Easter sure. in 1988. <laughs> making sure you ain't have Mama still rocking the Jerry curl nah. in the wicker back chair, right? <laughs> no, <now. laughs> hey, they still make Jerry curls. The kids <laughs> and the wicker back chairs, I think, <laughs> <laughs> so we can recreate this. Right. Uh, all right, I'm with the Jerry curl. Yeah, I, I wish I would see somebody put a fresh Jerry curl in it. Man, let me juice dripping off their damn head. I'm telling you what, in cowboy culture, I've seen a few of them, man. Some of these cats, like, out in the middle of Oklahoma, they don't know that oh, things shit. have changed. They're still doing their thing, man. Still- man, it seems too hot in Oklahoma mm-hmm. for a Jerry curl. That, that ought to be illegal. Jesus, that boy, that, uh, like spontaneous combustion on your head. <laughs> All right, second question. This is a segment called That's Mighty Black of You. That's Mighty Black of You, sir. Mighty Black of You today. He's <laughs> three... Quick hit multiple choice questions. First one. When something happens to your kitchen, you might say, This is ludicrous. But that won't fix your home. That will only get you the rapper, Ludicrous. Having trouble? Don't panic. Don't be alarmed. You need to file a claim? Holla at State Farm. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. That's right. You can file a claim on the app or call us. Thanks, Mr. Chris. No matter how ludicrous the situation, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. State Farm, Bloomington, Illinois. What did most black grandmas cook on Friday? Fish, okra, spaghetti, or ain't cooking tonight? My grandma, I can only go off of my own experience. My grandma didn't cook on Friday because we were at church. You know, we, that, was, uh, that was the pastor's offering, so we had to be there because she was the accountant in the church. And, uh, and then we had, we had uh, youth choir performance uh, on Friday night, so... 
At State Farm, we're committed to uplifting Black futures. In collaboration with organizations like 100 Black Men and National Urban League, State Farm provides high school students with the opportunity to learn and apply best practice strategies for saving and investing, all while offering academic support, life skills, and exposure to college access programs to prepare these students for life after high school. Check out 100blackmen.org and nul.org to donate and learn more. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Friday nights, we went to uh, Shoney's after church. We went to the buffet. Uh, and uh, Grandma did not cook on Friday night. Well, Ivan, that might be the blackest answer we've ever had. The fact that <laughs> the fact that you in church on Fridays, and then the international Negro restaurant Shoney's. Correct. <laughs> Negroes was in some goddamn Shoney's. Boy. Boy. You we had to, you definitely was in the South. Right. <laughs> we was in some damn Shoney's. You might have to explain what Shoney's is to, to our listeners, because I don't think everybody, everybody even know what a Shoney's is. This motherfucker's Googling Shoney's right now. <laughs> you had the, had the, Shoney, oh. the Shoney's placemat with the bear on it, man. You know, if you don't yes, know about Shoney's, we can't be friends, man. Shoney's the Shoney's the big boy. Yeah. Right. Man, right. My joint at Shoney's we used to be that, that chocolate cake that was a perfect square that was layered with <laughs> The ice cream that was in the fudge, boy. That yes. thing was crackalicious. <laughs> All right, second question: Which song is a staple in any black family cookout or or outdoor festival? Rock you tonight, Freddie Jackson. Never too much Luther Vandross. Before I let you go, Frankie Beverly and Maze, and now Beyonce, right? And Billy Jean, MJ. Uh, never too much, never too much, never too much, never too much. I was like, yeah, that's, that's, <laughs> as soon as you said it, I was, I was just like in my head, like. Uh-huh. I was like, you from a singing family. Yeah. <laughs> okay, you got a singing background. Matter of fact, it almost came out. Yeah, I was about to sing the whole thing just now, but, <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah, let's go ahead and move past it. Never too much, it's gotta be played at the cookout. Yeah. Yeah, you play that all day, man. Is that Skinny Luther? Nah. No, that's big that's fat ass Luther. Yeah. <laughs> right there. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Third question. What do black folks say when they're ready for you to leave their house? Can you leave, please? Get to step in. What you finna do? Well. <laughs> <laughs> It's, it's well. <laughs> well, uh, you got to stretch inside. Right. Well, uh, uh, I got to... Got to go to work in the morning. Got to go unwrap my gum. So. <laughs> got to kick these boots off. <laughs> All right. Now, our last question. This is our signature question. What do you love most about Life While Black? Oh, uh, what do I love most about Life While Black? I would say I just I just love the the culture. I love the way that that we celebrate, you know, I love uh what what black people achieve uh together. And I love what we achieve as a community. You know, I just love to I just I just feel privileged that I get to be a part of of all of this magnificence and I feel like being a black man in America is just like a shorthand for I'm about to do something extraordinary. I'm about to do something that you've never even imagined, you know? And um, it, it has a lot of weight. It has a lot of expectations to it. But I think 
I think, you know, we really need to start using the phrase black privilege because it's uh it's a massive privilege to be black, you know, today in America. It mm. is a privilege to be black. It I like is. that. I like that. So I, I, I wouldn't change this for shit. I, I appreciate this privilege. Nope, nope. I wouldn't change it for anything. Not for not for nothing. It's it's the best <clears throat> thing that ever happened to me. So I just love it. That's real talk. So we're gonna jump into our dope quote. Our our listeners know it's um typically from the mouth of someone black, from history, religion, science, music, arts, entertainment, poetry, literature. Um, but it has relevance on the topic for today. So I'm going to read that quote to you and get your thoughts on it. We didn't write the books. <clears throat> we didn't produce the movies. So we were politely deleted. There's an absence of the black cowboy recorded in the, in the history of the American cattle ranching industry. The roles these men played in settling of the Old West deserves scholarly attention by Trisha Wagner. When you hear that, and considering the work that you're doing, what do you think about that statement? That's, that's a big statement. I mean, that makes it feel like, I think a lot of times with my work, I just like forget that it's important. I forget that, that it has magnitude to it. But a quote like that says that, yeah, we're, we're reframing narratives. We're, um, you know, honoring our ancestors who were, who were forgotten by history in, in many ways. And, and, and the work that I'm doing uh, has massive weight to it, has big impact, um, and it really means something. So, yeah, that, that, yeah. that really brings it, brings it home for me, what, Absolutely. What, what we're trying to accomplish here. I liked it because as I, as I began doing my research, I ran into a lot of information. And, and, and very, very transparently, I wasn't informed, right? I watched, um, what, what's the show on the movie that came on? Urban, is it Urban Cow- Concrete Cowboys? Concrete, Concrete Cowboys. Cowboy. Yeah. yeah, Concrete Cowboys that was on Netflix. And I was entertained. I had no idea what was happening, right? I had no idea there were cowboys, black cowboys in, in, in the city. In no the less, city. Right? Yeah. And then I began learning about, like, the Compton Cowboys. I had no idea. And, and I found out that there were groups of black cowboys in so many major cities. And, and that, that let me begin to dig into the history even more. And that's when I began, when I became acquainted with the understanding of where the term cowboy initially came from and the way that, that we were treated in, in that particular industry. And as I began to research names and, and people and even places, right, coming into the understanding that the lone ranger was black. Right. Yeah. This information like really opened me up and I began really reading about it. So the, the first thing that I want to ask you is in your research, I know you've been digging into the history. I love if you could just talk through, talk through a couple of things that most folks don't know about black cowboys and our history in this country. Yeah. Um, I mean, a lot of what you said is 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 the important stuff and you hit a lot of the the kind of critical figures in this in this world. Nat Love um sort of sits in the middle of things. And I think that his story is the most critical story because Nat Love could could read and write. Nat Love wrote his memoirs. And mm. so that that's the direct, you know, sort of word of mouth from a cowboy that we have. That sort of talks about this culture and right. um, this time in history, and so um, Nat Love was born a slave. 
uh, Netlove, um, you know, like like many slaves, you know, we have to go back to like Texas, and Texas right. had a bunch of white folks that moved moved to you know uh, Mexican lands to avoid taxes, and they took their right. slaves with them. Texas at one point had 182,000 slaves living there. 30% of the population were slaves. And cattle were a big part of the industry there. And the Civil War broke out and all of these white folks went to fight in the war and they left the slaves to, to maintain the cattle. And so these, these, these uh, black slaves, these black enslaved people um, got these, this skill at, at managing cows, getting, getting cows out of, out of the rut, you know, uh, helping to herd cattle. And when slavery ended, they were hired as as cowboys. They were hired to sort of maintain these cattle. Um, right. One of the one of the critical pieces that made the cowboy necessary and brought the cowboy into existence was the fact that there wasn't barbed wire. Um, and so there wasn't barbed wire. There weren't trains. And so you had to hire these hands to to move your cattle from place to place and to maintain your cattle. And when barbed wire was invented, all of that ended and all of these cowboys disbanded and became, you know, waiters and porters and, 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 and stevedores. And, and they became um, wow. um, more, more assistant kind of kind of kind of roles. Right. And, and real quick, ju- just for an understanding perspective, when you say that barbed wire came about and kind of flipped the black cowboy industry, if you can call it, on, on its head, that's because... Prior to the barbed wires, it was the black cowboys who kept the cattle and the herd contained. Is, is that right? Exactly. Exactly. Okay. In Texas, you had middle, millions of cattle and you couldn't tell whose cattle was who besides the brand. And so mm. to, to keep your cattle uh, maintained, you, 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 had a, you had cowboys out there um, hurt, hurting these cattle all day. And then wow. when they were bringing cattle from uh, Texas to the north, when people would purchase cattle, they didn't have refrigeration, they didn't have trains, and so they would they would ship the cattle alive, and and these these uh, cow hands would drive the cattle, you know, hundreds of miles through wow. Native American territories. Um, oh shit! It was like That's a really dangerous. really it was it was the dangerous job, and so you not only had to be like adept at like maintaining cattle, but you had to be good handy with your gun. Uh, you had to you had to be quick. You had to to know the territories, you had to know when you were in danger. And then a lot of these black folks. At State Farm, we're committed to uplifting black futures. In collaboration with organizations like 100 Black Men and National Urban League, State Farm provides high school students with the opportunity to learn and apply best practice strategies for saving and investing, all while offering academic support, life skills, and exposure to college access programs to prepare these students for life after high school. Check out 100blackmen.org and nul.org to donate and learn more. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Folks uh, came into towns where, where it was hostile, where they couldn't eat at restaurants, where they couldn't drink at bars. And so they were the toughest of the tough, the grittiest of the gritty uh, in this world. And that love did did this. He was he was one of these uh, cowboys that that herded cattle across the land. And um, then after barbed wire was admitted, Nat Love ended up working on the train. He hated it. And then at the end of slavery, there was an interest in cowboy culture that then became rodeo. So mm-hmm. they, moved for, they moved from doing real cowboy work to doing cowboy shows. And so all of these uh, handy gunmen 
would do gun tricks. And all of these uh, really rough and tumble cowboys would, would, would rope calves and they would ride bulls and they would do a lot of the activity that they learned uh, working, working cattle, but they would do it for money. They would do it in these shows. Mm. And, and that love ended up doing that. His name was Deadwood Dick. And uh, he was he was cold blooded. <laughs> <laughs> he was cold blooded. His saddle bronc ride did, did, did everything. Porn? No, shit. <laughs> <laughs> <Good. laughs> Damn, man. <laughs> he probably Dead would have if it would have been around. Deadwood Dick. Yeah, he was the man. And then you ended up with, uh, <laughs> uh, you know, a man who was who was uh, who who was born into. He was born free. Buffalo Bill, uh, not Buffalo Bill. Buffalo Bill was a white man. Um, Bill Pickett. Mm-hmm. Um, who would uh, grab a, a steer, uh, bite it on the lip, and then pull it down to the ground. And that was his signature trick that he would do in, 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 in Western shows and rodeos. And I, 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 Ivan, hold, hold on a second. Did you, yeah. did you, did you say did. he bite it, he would bite it by the lip? Yeah, so he, so, so he invented a sport called bulldogging. Right. And you would have a bulldog on your farm, and when a steer got loose, the bulldog would run the, run the steer down, Oh, bite its a lip bulldog. And pull okay, it the down dog to the, okay. to the ground. Yeah. Gotcha. And gotcha. so would do it. And so uh, Bill Pickett emulated the the bulldog, and he would ride on a horse gotcha. along the steer, Grab him by the jump horns. off. Okay. He would bite it on the lip, just like a bulldog would, and he would he would he would wrestle it on the ground. So yeah, he he would what? bite it bite it on the lip, get snot all over his face, and then pull the uh, pull the steer down to the ground. And he did this in shows, and the white folks would go crazy. They loved to see it. That was his his signature move. Hey, Bill was not to be fucked with, huh? I was not. No, he was you, not. I'm not trying to mess with nobody who can do that. Bill had I, I, dentist <laughs> bills. He was <laughs> his whole situation was messed up. But uh, I thought he yeah. was just grabbing them by the horns and pull. I didn't know he was out there biting, biting them, folks like yeah. a bull. Like so, bulldogs used to bring down calf, yeah. cows. Yeah, yeah. Full, no, full I had no cow. idea. Yeah. Damn. <laughs> like, 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 what is it? Something special about the lip or something? <laughs> you know, it was just shocked. The, it was shocked the steer. The steer was like, "Are you really biting my lip?" And then, and then it would just fall down <laughs> on the ground because it was just the craziest thing you could do to it. I mean, just take a second. If oh. somebody ran up and bit your lip, like, <laughs> <laughs> what, you, what you gonna do? Depend <laughs> on how she looked. <laughs> <laughs> That's oh wild. Yeah. Oh, that's crazy. That's that is that's something interesting right there. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. So, so, so those are some of the some of the you know popular figures. You know, you got other ones like Bose Icard, who was who was a cattleman. He he was uh he's one of the only like blacks uh black black cowboys that have really been celebrated in film. He was uh, Danny Glover played him in Lonesome Dove, and he was you know he was a really really good. Uh, really good man, you know. White folks treated him as an equal because they were out there warring and 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 fighting their way, and you know, scrapping, and they were poor, and they were sort of on on a level playing field uh, during these cattle drives. And um, you know, they the white folks really grabbed onto that story and was like, "Look, we're all equal." And they told that story in Lonesome Dove. And so he's one of the right. only only black kind of cowboys that you'll see in cinema. Um, right. And then. Um, there's Cleo Hearn, who was the first black man to win an event at a major rodeo. He won a he won a roping event in a major rodeo. Like you mentioned, there was Bass Reeves, who was the man. You said he he arrested three thousand people. He yep. shot over seven hundred criminals. 
uh, he uh, he used to wear disguises. He used to wear disguises and 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 roll up uh, on these on these bandits. And when he did that, um, he would he would then reveal himself to be a U.S. marshal, and he would he would arrest them. And he actually had a a, a, a partner who was Native American, and um, and so that that became you know Tonto uh, Tonto in the in the movie mm-hmm. and. And the mask, you know, was something that that represented him wearing these disguises when he was hanging out with bandits, and um, all of it was all of it, or all of the story in the in the in the Lone Ranger is true, but except for the fact that it was a black guy that was doing it. So, I wonder do do they ever get tired of stealing from shit? Us? Right, <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> they said, "Well, fuck it. We know he's a black man. We're gonna make him white in the movie." Yeah, like it's sure. it's gotta hurt to be that unoriginal that you got to steal everything. Let me not get started on that. Ivan, that's that's an incredible history, right? And, and in this conversation, I, I learned more than I did in my research. So I guess the first question about this is, for people listening now who are eager and interested to learn more or just black history fanatics, where, where can they go? Because, I mean, it's, these stories aren't being told every day, right? The The Concrete Cowboy was one of the more recent examples that I can really come up with, but where can people go to get this information to learn more about this history? It's easier to find now than it had been for a long time. There's a lot of articles being written about it. There's a documentary on Netflix right now called High on the Hog, and I think it's the the fourth fourth episode of that talks about... Black cowboys, and there's a there's a black cowboy museum um, ran by a man named Larry Callies, and he's he's in High on the Hog. He doesn't have a voice. He used to be a singer, but he lost his voice. And um, he's got a black cowboy museum down in um, Rosenberg, Texas. And right. I went down there and learned a lot. Like he he's he's got the history like 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 locked down. He's got all the artifacts. He he knows more than than anybody. So if you find yourself in like Houston, like check check his museum out cuz he's got a lot of good information. There's a writer named William Katz who's written over 40 books about uh black mm-hmm. cowboys. Uh check out his book called The Black West. You know, if you want to learn more, that's really good information. Um, you know, there's a couple of, of, of black cowboy podcasts. I can't, I can't think of the names right now. Okay. My work really doesn't, doesn't focus on the history at all, but, um, it focuses on what's going on right now, you know? Um, but. Well, well brother, you, you definitely show the respect to the history cause you've got a, you've got a good grasp of it. Now. We yeah. appreciate that. Yeah. Uh, thank you. I appreciate that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Bill Pickett rodeos come, come to, you know, six or seven cities a year. They go to Oakland, they go to Atlanta, they go to Nashville, and the Bill Pickett Rodeo really honors the the history and the legacy of Bill Pickett. Um, and you can you can pick up a lot of the history there and and sort of see the events now. Well, I'm looking up the Bill Pickett Rodeo right now because we are in Atlanta. Yeah, it comes to Atlanta every year, and it's it's a it's a really exciting event. You you gotta go see it seriously. Where did your interest in this come from? I grew up in Kansas, and. We grew up on some land. We grew up on about five acres of land. We had a field behind our house. It was really a, a place of of duality that I grew up in. Like in the back of our house, we would go back there. We'd run around in the in the field, and we pick blackberries and we catch fireflies in, in in mason jars. Like we would do all this country stuff. In the front of the house, 
there were, you know, um, uh, gangs and, and, and dog fighting and there were, you know, there was like housing projects and stuff and, and a lot of the stuff that comes along with poverty like went down um, on the front side of our house. So right. it, was, it was weird. We grew up like country and we grew up, um, uh, you know, urban. We grew up in city-fied at the same time. Um, and so we would, you know, my grandma and them, they, they used to raise animals. They used to raise crops. And so that was part of like what we knew, but we thought about all of that stuff is like what poor people did. And we, yeah. would, we, would, we just sort of shunned that part of our lifestyle. Although we would see people riding horses and, and I have friends in high school whose dads had, had chickens and cows and stuff like that. Yeah. We just thought like them, them, them are country, uh, country people and um, we're, we're gonna kind of ignore what they're doing. Um, but we would go to the rodeo. We would go to the big American Royal Rodeo every year in Kansas City. It was a barbecue cookout and a rodeo. My choir would sing the national anthem there. Uh, and that, that was a really good time. So I kind of had rodeo in my, in my DNA, um, but really didn't pay much attention to it. I went off to New York and then I moved to Portland. And when I was in Portland, everything got real white. Um, I, I, would, I would go... <laughs> I would go weeks without seeing another black person sometimes. And I was working in tech and uh, it was just like a bad look. And I was at a party one day and somebody tapped me on the shoulder and I turned around and there was a black man standing there, a tall black man, big Afro. And he introduced himself. He said his name was Charles Perry and that he was a filmmaker. And uh, uh, he said that he was working on a film about black cowboys. And I said, like, what, like a, like a Western? He said, no, like a documentary. And I didn't know anything about, you know, the black cowboy culture at the time. Uh, he invited me to come with him to a rodeo in Okmulgee, Oklahoma, in the middle of uh, August. And I went down there and just saw thousands of black folks riding horses, um, uh, dancing. You know, I saw women with long acrylic nails and braids barrel racing. I saw old men with, with shirts that were so starched that when they moved their arms, you could hear it crunch. And they had on Stetsons and they had mustaches. And uh, I saw like young men in Jordans and, and basketball shorts, no shirt, gold chains, riding horses. And I was just like, it just blew up my perception of, of what a cowboy was and, and just immediately became an obsession for me. I met a man named Robert Criff and he was wearing a Kansas City Royals hat. And so I said, where are you from? And it turns out that he lived on the other side of the five acre field from where I grew up. There's a cowboy living back there. And he had horse, he has horses. He runs a riding club called uh, Down to Earth Riders. And he told me that half of the people at the rodeo that I was at were from Kansas City, Kansas. And it just immediately like blew up my perception of home away from this place of like, poverty in this place of violence to a place of like where cowboys came from and um, really, really changed like how I interact with Kansas City now. When I go back to Kansas City, I hang out with cowboys and hang out with these riding clubs. And, and it's just like a whole different, whole different definition of home. That makes sense. So tell, tell me this, how did, how did that chance encounter and your, your history, you know, growing up that close to it, how did that translate into what you're doing now? And, and and as a matter of fact, explain to folks listening 
more about what Eight Seconds Black Cowboys in America is. So I'll start with the name. The name Eight Seconds is how long you have to ride a bull to get a qualifying score in a, in a rodeo event. It's how long you have to either ride a bull or how long you have to ride a, um, ride a stallion uh, in a, in a, ride a Bronco in a, in a rodeo event. Look, if we, if we ain't talking about what OJ was in, I'm tapping out immediately. Yeah. I'm not getting on the back of any of them joints. <laughs> That's probably a good idea because it'll give you whiplash, it'll give you CTE and, and all the rest of it uh, over I don't time. know what CTE is, but most acronyms is bad. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, like terminal brain right. Sounds like some bad shit. Exactly what it is. So um, eight seconds is, is just like celebrating this part part of the culture that really hasn't hasn't been been amplified or like observed um you know i i i didn't know anything about it and i just like loved going to these rodeos because uh it was it was a chance for me to be around black people i wasn't around any black people in in portland and so i just started going as like a hobby and I would take photos and then I would just like keep them on my computer. And whenever I was feeling separate from the culture, I would, I would just click them and, and click through them and, and just enjoy, enjoy those memories. And it wasn't until 2019, really, that I like started an Instagram because my wife was kind of like, yeah, you spend a lot of money going to these rodeos. Like maybe you should do something with these photos, you know? And uh, gave me a gentle nudge to start an Instagram. And when I started it, a lot of other people were like, what is this? I can't believe that this exists. Like, this is amazing. Like, um, how do I learn more? And so I just like sort of took on this role to be uh, a beacon that sort of sort of led people, led people to this culture. And uh, it's, it's, led, it's led me in so many different places from like... Um, you know, not only doing the photography, but but also getting to work for like publications like ESPN. Uh, but it's also like helped me be a connector between some of these athletes who really struggle to uh, compete because they don't have sponsorships that white athletes have. They don't they don't they don't have the money that it takes to get a horse all the way across the country and a trailer and hotels and all this stuff. So it's right. helped me athletes with brands like Wrangler and, and get them sponsorships. It's helped me uh, just, just get them paid if I can't get them sponsorships. And so I've started to, to be a little bit of an agent um, in, in, in this world as well. So it's, it's just been, it's been amazingly fruitful and, and just, just a huge uh, journey in, in a lot of different ways for me. How, how can people get closer to the work and see some of it, consume it, take it in? How can they learn more about it? Uh, my website uh, is 8seconds, uh, E-I-G-H-T-S-E-C-S dot com. That's my uh, Instagram as well. So you can you can just go and, and follow and, and, and enjoy the work. Um, go to a Bill Pickett rodeo. Go to look up, look up black rodeos in your area. Uh, if you live in Texas or Oklahoma, there's a black rodeo every week. Uh, every weekend there's something going on and and just 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 go to one it it's so fun and it's so welcoming and it, it's just such an interesting part of black culture that really I think a lot of folks don't know about and and when you see it firsthand it really changes you in a lot of different ways yeah if now, and what's that website again uh e i g h t s e c s dot com like if if you had to break down the work that you're doing 
Hey, hey, it's Brooke England here from Deposits. And if you're a fan of culture and business, then be sure to check out and subscribe to Deposits, where I interview dope individuals and celebrities of the culture. And we get into contracts, entertainment, and my favorite part, payouts. It's brought to you exclusively by the Revolt Podcast Network, anchored in hip hop, powered by creators. And to go. What is, what's your ultimate goal? What are you trying to do with this work? My ultimate goal is to make a book. A lot of the work is digital. And, right. you know, digital is great. And it, and it has a lot of amplification. It, it spreads a long way. But I don't think it has the permanence of a, of, a, of a physical artifact. I want people to have this thing on their coffee table in their house and have it be a conversation piece um, that they can share with their friends and that they can they can consume slowly. That's the right. other thing with like digital stuff. Instagram, you just go through it so fast. You just like rip through pictures. And right. uh, I want people to be able to just like take their time and really start to look at some of the details in these photos and right. um, uh, some some of the some of the narrative elements that are going on are really, really fascinating. Um, some of the other goals are are to get people paid, you know, like yeah. like a lot of these folks, a lot of white people have come through and tried to tell this story and they just came through like culture vultures and they and they took the photos and they never talked to these people again and and and, and the folks didn't get anything out of it and i don't i don't want to just be like a consumer of the culture i want to be a participant and so like i said like getting people sponsorships getting um uh, uh athletes connected with brands is really really important to me like when i when i put together a proposal for a campaign shoot with 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 a brand, I make sure that the athletes get paid, and I negotiate right. their rates for them. Uh, where right. a lot of people don't do that, that doesn't happen a lot, and and a lot of athletes have never done, you know, brand partnerships, so they don't know they don't know to ask for for money. They don't even know to ask right. for money. They're like, oh, I'm going to get exposure. I like exposure. Don't pay the bills. You know, you need to be getting right. cash because what you have is really unique and special. Yeah. So yeah, those are the two things, you know, uh, we're leading to to tell a comprehensive enough story that it can become a book and um, continue to get people connected. Yeah, you know, one of the things that you, when we started this episode and after I introduced you, when you began to talk about yourself, one of the things that you you said about yourself was that you were a storyteller. Yeah. And, and now we're talking about photography and, and black cowboys. And because I've been to your website and I see the intersection of the photographs, the stories, and, and the people. What, I, what I'd love for you to talk about a little bit to kind of really paint that picture for people listening is how you're telling these narratives with pictures. Because when I go to your website, um, like Black Cotton stands out to me and Charles Sampson, and there were, there were several names and, and every, every name was, was clickable. And inside, there were more images and there were more stories. So two questions I have is, talk to me a little bit about your intention behind telling these stories and then tying the photos into them. And then secondarily, tell us a little bit about your, your favorite story, right? Because you are a storyteller. So which, is the, which one is the most compelling to you, the most inspirational to you? Which one do you want people to click on it and dive into first when they go visit your webpage or when they interact with your Instagram page? It's just like this archive of, of people that I've encountered and, and people that have 
taking their time to like to like welcome me into their world, you know. I think uh, that a lot of these folks don't uh, get a lot of attention or want a lot of attention. You know, gaining trust and and honoring that trust is really, really important to me. And right. so I go to the middle of nowhere and and I meet people like like Dennis Davis, who's a stock contractor. He brings the bulls to uh, rodeo events. And he's a really, you know, really cool dude, really, really quiet, really humble. Um, and he just like walks me around his property. He lets me, you know, pet bulls, which I'm terrified to do. But they're these big muscular creatures. And he's like, go up there and, and, and touch that bull. He ain't going to do nothing. And I'm like, all right, I guess, I guess, yeah, that's exactly what I said. But I went ahead and, and did it and, uh, uh, you know, learned a lot, learned a lot about, about the process of like feeding these bulls and, and how well they're treated and um, how he trains them to buck, how he trains them to compete in all of these events. And he starts to tell me about his story. He used to work uh, for a cooler manufacturer. He used to work for Igloo Coolers. And he was a really uh, technical guy. He, he maintained like these really complex spreadsheets to maintain inventory. And then he decided, you know, this isn't for me. And he had the opportunity to buy some land. And he just started doing this like bull thing because that's something that he had always been interested in. And he used the same kind of spreadsheet inventory control kind of thing with these bulls to like understand each bull's tendencies, understand what they needed as far as nutrition and feed. Um, and, and, and so he's just like this really like technical guy who like, who's like a cowboy through and through. And uh, just hearing his story and being able to tell it we we were uh, at a bull riding practice at his at his property, and there were a couple of bull riders coming early in the morning to ride bulls. The night before, it rained four inches. I woke up; it was thunderstorming, uh, and there was water up to the door of my car. And so I I uh, texted Dennis. I was like, "What's it like out there?" He said, "It's raining. Let's rock." That's that's exactly what he texted me back. And so. <laughs> I drove out there and and the bull riders were riding these bulls in the mud. They were getting filthy and disgusting. And so, you know, for me, it's important to like take that story, take Dennis's story, take that experience and document it, write it down and and put it out for the public to see. Uh, it's, it's important to tell these stories because it's something that that people don't know about. It's something that 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 people don't don't know exists, you know, today. Even if I say like there are black cowboys. Most of the stories that you read are going to talk about what happened in the 1800s and the early 1900s. Yeah. They're not yeah. going to really talk about like what's going on exactly right now. So that's yeah. that's what my stories do is like really talk about people that are alive, talk about people that are thriving, uh, that compete in this rodeo world uh, that you should know and that you should be rooting for uh, because they're they're doing something extraordinary and, and going against all the odds and and going against all the circumstances. Uh, yeah. That, that they have against them. Um, one story that, that you would have to read on there, uh, that, that's a tough one because there's, there's, there's so many different elements of each story that I really appreciate. Two of my oh. favorites right now are um, Kanisha and Courtney, Kanisha Jackson and Courtney Solomon. They're uh, mother and daughter, um, mother and daughter barrel racers. And they come from a long line of barrel racers. Her mama was a barrel racer. Stephanie Haynes was a barrel racer, her mother. And then, and then Stephanie Haynes' mother was a barrel racer. And real quick, what, what is barrel racing? 
Barrel racing is uh, an event in rodeo where you take a, a quarter horse, a really fast horse, and you run it around barrels uh, in a cloverleaf pattern, uh, and the and the one with the fastest time wins. Got it. Uh, just just Google it, uh, YouTube it, and and you'll see see some really extraordinary female athletes uh, doing this sport. Courtney Solomon, the first time I met her, was really shy for about ten minutes. And then she got on a horse and she started to do her barrel racing thing. And I said, um, so is it important to be, be really fast on your horse? And she said, it's not about how fast you go. It's about how smooth you ride. And then after mm-hmm. that, she just opened up and just got really, really charismatic and, and really open. And uh, we've oh, become friends young. over the years. Yeah, she's 11. Yeah. And her mom was like 28. Her dad is a, is a, is a champion calf roper. They're just so like integral to this community, and they're and they're so connected um, uh, to the black cowboy world that I that I always end up working with them, and I always end up seeing them at rodeos, and and we've gotten close over the years for sure. So, so hearing you bring up Kanisha and Courtney, if I got those names right, yeah, made made me wonder what is what's the penetration in the sport for for black women? You know, rodeo is still really. Um, Male dominated, you know, mm-hmm. a lot of the stories are are, are led with are, are about men. I I really make a concerted effort to tell the stories of the women. I really make an effort, you know, as I'm doing the layout and the storytelling in the book that I'm making. Uh, I'm like, you know, half of these stories need to be about women. That's important to do because um, there it, it's easy to it's easy to not do it, especially me as a man. I've got my own biases and. Uh, for a long time, I was like, I don't really know what's going on with barrel racing. I just want to shoot bull riders. And that was sort of my lens. That was what I focused on. And so I had to really um, make an effort to elevate and, and tell more of the stories of the women. You know, women compete in in a couple of events where men have a lot more opportunities. Men compete in about uh, uh, five rodeo events. And then women compete in the other two. Women compete in barrel racing and then they compete in um, a, a sport called steer undecorating, where you ride up alongside a deer, uh, a steer, and you rip a piece of duct tape off of its back. Uh, um, I've seen that before. Yeah, it's a lot of fun. Uh, and it, it's the most country thing. I mean, one day somebody <laughs> was like, put a piece of duct tape on that steer and go get it. You know, it's just like very, very like <laughs> organic country sport. Um and so, um, you know, their opportunities aren't as many. Their their sponsorships aren't as aren't as great. Uh, they don't get as much sponsorship money, but they're they're just as as good at riding horses. You know, even better in a lot of ways because right. barrel racing is such a technical sport that you right. know I, I really I really want to want to elevate that 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 elevate those athletes and really honor them as well. What kind of money are people making doing this? Uh, it depends, you know, at a black rodeo, a typical black rodeo, you'll go to Boldy Rodeo, uh, is going to be happening on August 7th and I'll be there. Um, you're looking at, if you win the event, depending on the event, so you win, uh, a, a portion of the entry fees. Every, every athlete pays an entry fee mm-hmm. and you win a portion of the entry fees if you win the event. And then the rodeo adds cash to that. So for Bowley, I think they add an additional six thousand um, uh, dollars to to the event. So you could you could walk away with like two grand if you win, two or three thousand dollars if you win. Gotcha. Considering that you got to bring a whole horse 
to the event and you got to have a um you got to have a trailer and uh and a uh and a truck you know typically a dually yeah and you got to have a hotel because you don't live there or or you can stay in your truck a lot of people do um you're spending five six hundred dollars to get there and then you got to pay sixty to a hundred dollars in entry fees so now you're up to you know you know eight hundred dollars uh and gas and food and and all of that like Man. winning winning two or three thousand dollars, you come to that event and you're you're a thousand dollars in on your investment. You you really need to win that event to get home, you know. Damn. Um. So so nah, it's not it, it's it not is. it's it's not big money. Uh, all these people do it because they love it. You know, they do it because because they enjoy it. And hopefully, at the end of the season, they make more money than they lose. Is sort of the goal. Uh, but they work at UPS and and they work at colleges and. And you know they 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 work at at um, uh, store stores like uh, horse supply stores right. that allow them the time off, you know, that so that they can compete in rodeos. Like they're working class folks um, for the most part. Now, so, if you're white, for most of them, this is not their primary job. No, no, okay. hardly any of them. Now, if you're white or you're one of the few black people that compete in white rodeos, if you're Ezekiel Mitchell or you're or you're Corey Solomon. You're talking about a whole different deal. I mean, the added cash in a white rodeo will be you you get your entry fees plus you get like thirty-five thousand, forty thousand dollars in added cash. So you can walk Damn. away with fifteen grand, twenty grand for winning and winning an event. Um, and then if you win the big money national finals rodeo, which is the Super Bowl of rodeo, you're mm-hmm. talking about hundreds of thousands of dollars. You know, so some of these guys, if they if they do really well. On on the uh, professional rodeo circuit, they 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 can become millionaires in a year. Um, they can win they can win a million dollars in a season easily. So one one quick question: you, you mentioned the difference in the black rodeos and, and the white. What's driving that? Is it is it public support? Is it admission price? Is it, is it sponsorship? What's what's driving that significant difference in the benefits of both sides? Uh, it's, it's, you know, ticket price, it's, um, sponsorship is probably the biggest thing. The Mm -hmm. big white rodeos are sponsored by, you know, the Wranglers and, and, and the, and the, and the, and the, you know, companies like Wranglers and, and big, uh, Western brand companies like that. Um, and manufacturing companies, uh, DeWitt, you know, stuff like that, Stanley, they sponsor these events, uh, you know. So you come in to a professional rodeo event in Colorado or or Miles City, Montana, or something like that, and you see banners everywhere. You see everybody's logo, and they 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 roll out a big Ford F one fifty in the middle of the event and do like an event around that. Like it's just a whole different level of support and sponsorship right. that 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 elevates the rodeo. And then you have a lot of um, a lot of these athletes that compete. A lot of the white athletes that compete, and a lot of the boosters of the rodeos are from big, big ranches. They own hundreds of acres, and so they 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 they're involved in the rodeo boards, and they support and dump cash into the rodeos, and they dump cash into the white athletes that come to the rodeos as well. So it's just a whole different level where the black events just sort of happen. More like family reunions, you know. They right. they're, they're really loose knit. Uh, it's hard to find out when the when the black rodeos even are because they don't have any money to market or, or or promote it. And so I have to like dig deep. A lot of times I find out about the rodeo through word of mouth 
because there really isn't a lot of information online. You know, uh, it's hard. It's hard to find what it is. And you come there and it's like rodeo was sponsored by like uh, somebody's daddy. And, uh, <laughs> you know, rodeo, rodeo was sponsored by um, there's a photographer named Cowboy World. And he, he's, he's one of the only other black, black rodeo photographers out there that's doing his thing. He sponsors the rodeo events to like get people to come to his Facebook uh, and they'll have his banner up. You know, it's like J&E's accounting service. Like, you don't, you don't see, you don't see Wrangler. You don't, you don't see Boot Barn at those, at those rodeos. Um, and it's, it's because of racism, you know? Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah, yeah absolutely. Just, just plain and simple. Cool. Well, we're we're starting to run low on time, so I want to ask one more question. Actually, it's not even a question. It's a statement that we we do at the end of every episode. We always hand the mic over to our guest to close out the show, tell our listeners whatever's on your heart to tell them, including, again, how to contact you, how to follow you, how to engage with your work, and then we'll close it out. So, Ivan, the floor is yours. Um, you know, you said what's on my heart. Uh, you know, the first thing that I think about is is my family. I spend a lot of time on the road. A lot of time on the road. Uh, I'll travel every weekend if I can until my wife goes like, all right, it's time for you to be home. Uh, quit going to these damn rodeos. And, and I, just, <laughs> I just hit that limit uh, at the beginning of this month. So I've been I've been at home for for the last uh, two weeks. And uh, it's just really nice, you know, being home with the kids and being home with my wife. Uh, she's she's a business partner, and she she's she's my partner in life, and she's my partner in this in this whole endeavor and journey. And so I just you know I'm just really appreciative of her and and, and appreciative that I have a family to 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 come home to when I'm when I'm done kind of kind of doing this stuff. Um, as far as what I what I've got to to promote, you know, I've got a solo exhibition going on right now at the Buffalo Bill Center of the West in Cody, Wyoming. Um, right. It's my first solo show. Uh, there's 43 photos of of these folks, and then uh, I've printed out their stories as well. So it's a lot of the same content that you'll see on the website in a in a big gallery space. So right. That's been really exciting. If for any reason you find yourself in Cody, Wyoming, go check it out. <laughs> uh, and then, uh, and then, yeah, go to the Instagram, which is eight uh, sex e i g h t s e c s, and and that'll get you everywhere else that you need to be um, to to view the work. Cool. Well, Ivan, brother, I have appreciated this time. I definitely have learned something about the Black Cowboy. I'm interested and eager to to be able to consume the work that you do in a space more broad than the website. So hopefully one day I will get to take a show in. And uh, with that, man, Arch, you got anything? Hey, man, I love being educated in a space that I am completely green on. So right. you've, you've helped us <laughs> tremendously. Cool. Oh, yeah. I appreciate your time. And, and thanks so much for having me on here. Absolutely, brother. With that, Wild Black, we out. Peace. Peace. When something happens to your kitchen, you might say, This is ludicrous. But that won't fix your home. That will only get you the rapper, Ludicrous. Having trouble? Don't panic. Don't be alarmed. You need to file a claim? Holla at State Farm. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. That's right. You can file a claim on the app or call us. Thanks, Mr. Chris. No matter how ludicrous the situation, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. State Farm, Bloomington, Illinois.